this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Hello and welcome to another episode of Yellowstoners, a podcast dedicated to getting high on drama, digging into the Duttons, and everything Yellowstone, hosted by Editor-in-Chief of the Playlist, Rodrigo Perez, and myself, Mike D'Angelo. Uh, we are back this week to talk about episode six of the series that aired this past Sunday on the Paramount Network. And after that discussion, we get to talk with actor Jefferson White, who joins us to talk about you know, playing Jimmy Herdstrom, uh, the beloved Jimmy Herdstrom from the show, hosting the brand new official Yellowstone Companion podcast, which launches its first episode this Thursday, December 9th. Uh, we won't hold that against him. But before we jump into Yellowstoning, I've got to tell you that the Yellowstoners is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast the discourse, be real, deep focus, the fourth wall and more like, and subscribe on any of your podcast apps of choice to drop us a comment on iTunes as we always do appreciate it. Okay. Rodrigo, it feels like the gas is finally being turned up on the season a little bit more with this episode six. I know you haven't been a huge fan of the season so far, but what are your overall thoughts on what we saw with, with episode six? Yeah, I mean, I really liked episode six and I, and I thought it was definitely the best of the season so far. And mm-hmm. it had some of the real good shit that I really liked. It was funny. It And like you said, like sort of like the, the, the gas and the, and the match has been lit and now we're like cooking with grease and it, it seems like we're going and some good shit's happening. And so, yeah, I really I really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I think this back half of the season is going to be pretty eventful. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, considering they're already letting out a lot of different things going specifically i did not see you know the the lloyd and walker stuff one being something that i was engaged with and two i didn't see the stabbing coming did you see the the big stab coming i mean no like at first when like you know like when it was being teased like last week or or the previous week or whenever it was it was like i was like oh this again (laughs) and and i was like lloyd's like all of a sudden it's like kind of like what we've been talking about this show it's sort of like there's delay of dealing with your feelings kind of thing. Right. Right. And so like Lloyd is finally like had it and he's sort of estranged from everyone in the bunkhouse. It's an, a little bit annoying because it's sort of like you dealing with your feelings like three or four episodes later, but 
they deal with it in a pretty satisfying way. And I sort of kind of get it in a way because there's only so much you can stick into each episode. So it's kind of like, like this more like, you know, television has like an ABCD storyline thing going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And I would might argue that, that Yellowstone has like maybe an A through F kind of thing <laughs> going on. And maybe, you know, they, or even G and like they rotate some of those in and out. So you might get an A, a C, an E and a G in one episode. And then, you know what I mean? And then some, some, so it comes, comes back and then it comes back a little bit later and some, they're not dealt with right away, but they're not quite gone either. Yep. So it's a little bit of just juggling that kind of stuff. And, you know, the stabbing was kind of a, a a bit much. Um, (laughs) Like it was kind of crazy, but the fight kind of got out of control. So it it was kind of nuts, but I, I, you know, we can get into the particulars of that, but I, I think that whole storyline ended up being my favorite part of that whole episode and the way, you know, Lloyd was dealt with the way, you know, again, all that stuff about loyalty and, and, and Rip being like, you know, damn you for making me do this. And this kind of like, like, you know, I, he tells him I love you and then he just fucks him up. Like, oh, that <laughs> stuff is just like really brutal. Yeah. And you, you got to wonder, what has he done to still be alive? Because they would have killed literally everybody else. Uh, what what has Lloyd done? Yeah. What the hell is Lloyd? How is he alive? Because well, everyone else would have died. Because he's been on that ranch forever. Yeah. He's an old man now. And he's been basically Rip before Rip and was a reliable ranch hand for like decades, probably. Yeah. I was just wondering if there was a specific event or two that maybe has John a little more reluctant to give him up. Probably given that, like, you know, if you think about the show and the events that happen, there's always something. But I think just in general, it's probably also just the fact that, like, you know, Lloyd's probably been branded for like 20 years now or something. Right. And, Mm And he's probably been, you know, he's been the total veteran sort of stalwart stalwart reliable guy and so yeah he he definitely fucks up in a major fucking way um but they i guess they were kind of setting the stage for that a little bit you know him hanging out with the the kid and feeling estranged from everyone sort of the glaring looks he's kind of just fucking reached his boiling point with walker and the whole the girl sort of just jumping around to different men in the bunkhouse yeah and now they're supposedly kicked out, but as far as I can tell, they're not. <laughs> and they're still around. Yeah, yeah. Although I think that probably gets, uh, yeah, resolved or something comes to a head. But yeah, there's some some really good shit in that. The whole just like John Dutton's speech to to Lloyd and what things between him and Rip and you know like the, those rivers run deep. You know, between oh yeah, those guys. You know, um, so people like that do get a lot of second chances and it's it's funny you know we talk about you know a lot of some of the stuff is like godfather ask or whatever and on those kinds of narratives like you know those people don't get second chances they're just fucked you know yep. they're, they're thrown in like you know they sleep with the fishes you know <laughs> um but um here you know there's uh, a, a little bit more leeway for people and you know even john giving you know jimmy all these extra chances is kind of a sort of shows his empathy and like his sort of fatherly nature like yes he can be a ruthless horrible man but like i mean he doesn't know jimmy shit he's known jimmy for like basically a fucking year you know yep um but um it's kind of it's kind of interesting that you know that sort of dichotomy of like cruelty but empathy and compassion right it's sort of like it's that again another kind of ebb, ebb and flow and again another thing i really just like about the show in general 
it would be easy to have people just be fucking cruel motherfuckers and be like, fuck you, you know? Yeah. But succession. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's never kind of quite like that because, you know, in, at the end of the day, the Duttons and John Dutton specifically sort of looks at the whole ranch as a kind of big, like family ecosystem, right. With like a lot of people with their parts to play and, as as much as he can be like, all right, that person's out or whatever, he can also like kind of understand that a lot of people have their parts to play and sort of need to be in place. Otherwise, certain things fall apart. Obviously, some people are just, you know, disposable. Other people are not. So the, uh, yeah, I, I, I really liked all that bunkhouse stuff and I thought it was really good. I'm, I'm still hoping that after this point, there's not a lot of Lloyd and Walker feuding because I think we've had our fill, <laughs> don't you think? Yes, definitely. And I would assume that, I mean, fucking Lloyd pulls out a switchblade and stabs him in the fucking chest. And then, and then he has to get basically put back together by a veterinarian because they can't take Walker to the hospital because they don't report shit like that. This kind of stuff is sort of like, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in the bunkhouse stays in the bunkhouse. So I would assume that at this point, you know, they beat the shit out of each other in this episode, right? Like, like yeah, they do. John's whole thing is is let's you know let them beat the shit out of each other until there's no beating the shit out of each other left to do like they Mm -hmm. just like they they uh they just get it out of the way and you know and then there's the minor spoiler i guess you know like rip breaks lloyd's hand at the at the end of the whole fight and he says i love you and it's sort of like a he's i think he says something like uh you know i do this because i love you because he's because he's trying to say like look i'm trying to stop you from from fucking up your life here. Yeah. I'm breaking your hand and I'm going to make and not only is that painful in this moment, but it's going to make your job harder over the next few weeks. And it's going to be a reminder for you that like, you need to know your place here. And as, as much as you're one of the top dogs in the bunkhouse, you're still kind of like a worker at the end of the day. And, and this is your last ch- fucking chance. And if you don't fucking remember, like, you know, hopefully this hand, your hand is going to be a constant reminder of your, of your fucking recent trespass. And, and, you know, it's just kind of that kind of cowboy kind of kind of way, you know, it's it's cruel, but it's compassionate at the same time, too. Right. Because he says, I love you. But he, then he fucking steps on his hand and fucking breaks <laughs> it. It's also brutal. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Let's jump over to some of the Beth stuff before we get to the big Jamie stuff that uh, has happened in this episode. I will just say last episode, I did call that Summer was going to be a near-death victim of Beth as soon as she found her in the house. And it did happen in this episode right away. And a lot of great quotes were had right away. Uh, Dad, if you're going to hire a hooker, would you please let me get you a good one was probably one of my faves coming out of Beth's mouth. Immediately when she finds Summer, who's played by Piper Barabo, who has sex with John and hooks up with John and she sees him the next day when she comes to the house and John and, and, and Summer are having breakfast she basically just fucking loses her shit and goes to town. And, you know, there's that line, I hope you die of ass cancer. There's just like, <laughs> just like Beth goes, Beth, Beth's like insults her, her boobs that she has none. And, and, and mm-hmm. it just like gets really relentless. It's bordering on almost Beth writing parody, um, <laughs> but it's pretty good. One of the things I thought was so ridiculous but sort of still comical at the same time. Like I was laughing my ass off was that when summer was she's summer is, is the character who is a, um, an animal rights activist. And so 
She in some ways is in complete conflict with John Dutton, but then when she gets to know him a little bit better and see how, you know, he cares for the animals and, and the land and the environment and, and all of Montana, she feels, she understands that she has more uh, in line with him uh, than she initially thought, which is why they probably hook up. Like they're, they're actually less at odds than they both assume at first and that starts starts to flower their i guess relationship or hookup or whatever it is so far and and then so she's and she's of course vegan and when she tries to have breakfast at the table <laughs> and and i don't remember his cook but you know there's a yeah. character who plays the, the dutton family cook he doesn't really say much but you know except for things around breakfast and it's like yes sir or whatever and all this stuff but it became she's like you know, does it have gluten? And he's like, what's gluten? <laughs> like, he's never heard of gluten. Like, it's like, I, I don't know whether uh, uh, a Taylor Sheridan is like trying to be funny or he really, really thinks that people don't like, he, I think the guy says like, I don't know what vegan is. He doesn't know, like he does not, like he, the guy is like, he just keeps going, what's that? What's that? To like everything she says about any of that stuff. And as someone who, is not any of those things at all. I at least I've heard of them before, you know? Yeah. He would have had to have been trained on the Dutton ranch in only Dutton cooking to not understand what the hell's going on. Yeah, it yeah, it was comical and silly almost that that a character would be like that, but I I did get a pretty good laugh out of it. Yeah, it, it was a definitely a, a fish out of water kind of moment for for summer. And then Beth has another moment this later in the episode where she pretty much proposes to Rip. She basically tells him they're getting married and likely, you know, she wants him to pick a place that nobody else has been to, that kind of thing. So that's kind of a big moment for them to officially acknowledge that, you know, yeah. this is forever. I do also kind of like, I love the way their dynamic works with the bunkhouse because I think at one point she asks him like, what happened? And obviously massive crazy drama <laughs> at the bunkhouse. And he's like, nothing. Cowboy because shit. Yeah, like cowboy shit, because like, <laughs> it's funny the way he separates his life like that, like to him at his day job, you know, that thing, the biggest fucking hugest drama happened. But to her, it's like, like, honey, don't worry about it. This is like, low hanging fruit bullshit that I'm not even going to bother explaining to you because it's like, in you know, it's like what we have is so much more important than that. It, it's mm -hmm. just kind of it's kind of interesting, you know, because it is the bunkhouse is his everything, but compared to Beth, it's still kind of nothing, you know? Right. And and that, and if he did tell Beth what was going on, she would tune out in about three seconds. Yeah. That's also probably <laughs> true. Right? But I just found that kind of funny that he was just like, nothing, don't worry, cowboy shit. Like, like stupid shit that you don't probably give a shit about. And then, oh yeah, we got Casey's family. Moving they're settling out. in. They found a house and a dog that came with the house that yeah. they're just calling dog for now. But yeah, yeah, there's been other things that he's looking into, like these multiple Mustangs that were disappearing off the reservation. And that brings right. back. I got to say that whole subplot with his wife and the girl. Oh, that's yeah. Stupid. I don't understand what they're trying to do here by giving him like a secondary love interest or someone to stir the, the relationship up. It is really one of those things, like the worst part of the show where um, you have to create a drama to create a drama just to have one going. Mm -hmm. It's like you're always like, I mean, a TV definitely does that where it's like, you know, you're spinning plates. Every one of your A, B, C, D, E, G, whatever stories are your a, a plate that you're spinning. 
And then, you know, you go over to the next one and one, one looks, looks like it's going to stop spinning and fall down. You spin it harder again. Right. And so you amp up the drama. That's the kind of what they do in all TV shows, but man, it's, some of them are just really kind of baffling and silly sometimes. And so, you know, post uh, uh, Casey's family almost getting killed at the beginning of the episode, she doesn't want to live there. So they move, they find this own, their own place, not that far away in this gorgeous fucking little Vista little valley. And, but then they throw this stupid thing in there where one of the uh, other indigenous native American women who used to be on the ranch in like what season two or season three or something. Yeah. That was season two for a quick minute. And then she just left. She resurfaces and she happens to be um, one of the, she's part of the family that got a bunch of their Mustang horses stolen. So it's just sort of a coincidence. And they're like, oh, hey, I know you. I know you. Right. But then she's like falling for him in this really kind of embarrassing kind of way. Um, Very blatant. And then, but even before she does any of that, Monica keeps going like, oh, so who's the cute girl, huh? Why is the cute? And it just becomes this sort of like ridiculous kind of thing. Like, first of all, it just seems like Monica's like being ridiculous for no reason. But then we sort of see later on that she is kind of like, I don't know, that part of it is, I'm like, I'm trying to like think, does the Mustangs and, and who stole them or got rid of them, is that going somewhere? Or was that just an excuse to to bring this girl back into the fold and create some sort of romantic tension conflict because I'm wondering uh, if it ties back into the California people that he, you know, threw under the, the cattle. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe or whatever. Maybe. That's interesting, but I can't remember the name of that uh, other, uh, that other uh, native American girl, um, Avery, uh, Avery. Right. Right. And she was cool. I liked that character. I was bummed to see her gone. But I don't remember sort of, her too much from season two. I know she had a thing with Jimmy a little bit, but I don't remember anything with Casey. No, there was nothing. They barely even knew each other. They, yeah. They just sort of recognize they at best, you know, he recognized her. Oh, Hey, you, I know you from the bunkhouse. You're a, what are you doing out here? Kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I thought that was pretty silly. I don't know. I guess we'll see where that goes, but that wasn't my favorite. Yeah, I do like the the new home and the dog and, you know, everything that he's setting up there. But it just kind of like feels really weird throwing in a whole other love interest <laughs> into the, the pot. Yeah, again, it seems like conflict for the sake of conflict. Like mm-hmm. there's a storyline, but then like so the storyline is they've moved, they find a new, you know, a new house, all this stuff. But then you've got to sort of throw something negative on top of it. I don't know. It's sort of frustrating. And it's kind of the frustrating thing about the show and maybe the frustrating thing about television in general, how they just got to spice up some conflict or find it or, or, or manufacture it in ways that don't always feel organic, genuine or, or organic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially because Monica and Casey have plenty to be at odds with at this point in time. It's not like they couldn't write up something that is more organic. Well, I guess we'll see where it leads and hopefully yeah, it's, we'll not, it's going. not down the, the alley of just like by Monica, <laughs> whatever that yeah, is. I, I'm, I'm sure not. You know, he's too loyal for that. And, yeah. and I'm still a little uh, curious about what they think they're doing with this. Yeah, me too. All right. So let's talk about Garrett Randall and Jamie's big confrontation because Jamie, you know, he pulls out a gun on him. He tells him to get his hands behind his back, tries to confront him about the hit. And he's pretty upfront. Uh, He doesn't try to deny it. He doubles down. He says he's going to do it again. 
if anything. And the only person that Jamie really protests when he's kind of talking about people is, is Casey. The rest of them, it doesn't seem like he really cares about. Yeah, but he, he, he still does. But, you know, you know, we did get our confirmation in this episode that, you know, he, Jamie went to go speak to that, that guy in prison, that Riggins guy gave him immunity and asked him, you know, to talk about, you know, whether his, his father, Garrett Randall put out the hit and, you know, that's confirmed. And, you know, he talked about all about that, right? Like the whole, yeah, I did it and I'll do it again. And, you know, all this other shit. And then Christina, his ex-girlfriend from like a previous, from I think season two Mm -hmm. comes back with their child. Yeah. So that's interesting because yeah, I guess I had sort of predicted, predicted Jamie was going to immediately renounce him. And while he does pull a gun on him and all that stuff, like it's, it's more complicated than that. And Garrett bringing, you know, Christina back with the kid seems like uh um kind of calculated too right oh yeah <laughs> sort of like the soft in the whole thing and he does have this moment where he kind of lays it out as far as how he sees things you know like jamie is confronting him about all the terrible and wrong shit that he's done and he says there's no such thing as right or wrong Right. No such thing as fair or normal. These are words men invented to scare and shame other men from taking back what they've stolen. And he's got this big grudge against John, obviously, because he's taken his boy and, and screwed up his life in some way. So in that way, you kind of you see exactly where he's coming from. And in some ways, you don't fault him, but they're the main yeah, characters. Sure. And you got to you got to yes. side with them. I, totally. At the same time, I still think there's maybe more at play here and and that maybe he's being like he's got a longer tail game of manipulation going on yeah and then he's sort of telling jamie what he wants to hear and he's trying to like emotionally gaslight jamie like i don't quite i don't really trust that character yet and i think that like this all feels like some long tail plan that i think will probably come to an head ahead at the end although but that speech that you that brought up i think was really great because it also just feels like something that john dutton would say or that any one of these characters would say you know yeah, it is a it's a very Yellowstone quote. <laughs> sure, for sure. And you know what's really interesting? I'm realizing that I was looking on the Wikipedia page on who's directing what and you know who's who's writing what. And Taylor Sheridan's writing all of this season by himself. He wrote all of last season by himself, and he wrote most of the first season by himself, and he only had a little bit of help. So I guess I would say a significant amount of help in the second season and then everything else he's just done himself, which is kind of a lot for like an executive producer, showrunner, sometimes director to do, you know? And then you add on uh, 1883, you add on mayor of East or Kingstown. The guy's, I don't know if he sleeps. I mean, he's, he's a big fucking deal now in terms of like, he's overseeing three shows, right? Yep. And a guy of that stature Who's kind of like the, I mean, and he's also like, not only that, he, he's he got the biggest show on fucking on television right now, right? On on cable television. He's got the, the, the number one show, bigger than The Walking Dead and all that. Someone of that ilk usually like just like executive produces and oversees all this stuff, right? This guy's writing all this fucking season and he's like, I don't know how much he wrote of 1883, but he's definitely, you know, overseeing that and overseeing uh, Mayor of, of Kingstown. And yeah, it's just a lot for, for someone of that kind of stature to be doing. So it's kind of interesting. It's, it's crazy to see him spin all those plates though. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still like kind of baffled and, and impressed that he fucking directed 
every single episode and wrote every episode of uh, the first season. Yeah. That's a lot to do. That's nine episodes. And that's like, you know, and may- maybe that's why he ended up started end off directing to other people after that. That's no joke. No, still, he's got a lot of, yeah, he's got a lot of his hands on the wheel. So he's yeah, no I shortage wonder, of work. I wonder what's coming in terms of, uh, in terms of in season five, because if he's going to have like, you know, now those two shows are just going on now. They're, they, you know, one hasn't even aired yet. So he's going to have, by the time season five is, is, is going, he's going to have three shows up in the air. And I wonder if he will start taking a step back in terms of some of the writing or, and things like that. And, and and or if the show suffers in that regard, because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, someone of this ilk, I, I'm still shocked that he doesn't. He's got have film projects, too, in the works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, oh, yeah, exactly. He, he, he directed a movie and released the movie this year, right? He wrote, he wrote and directed the, uh, yeah. the one with Angelina Jolie. Yeah, which that in the middle did come crashing to the ground a bit. <laughs> What's that? That plate did come crashing to the ground. Right. Around. That movie's not not great. I don't think it's necessarily terrible. I just don't think it works. Right. Yeah. To do like, and, and you got to imagine that while that movie was coming, uh, while it was being, you know, edited and, and getting ready, because it came out in May of this year, mm-hmm. you got to imagine that uh, they were shooting and, and editing um, and getting like, you know, 1883 and uh, Mayor of Kingstown ready as well. Right. So it's, it's pretty fucking impressive, you know? Yeah. As much as Travis Wheatley, his uh, horse trainer <laughs> character is not impressive. And the more and more I think of it, I just really can't stand that character. Uh, it's still impressive. Yeah. Not a lot of Travis in this one. So. Oh, and, and, and for a uh, uh, comparison, just so you know, Taylor Sheridan also directed the pilot of Mayor Kingstown, one other episode, and he wrote every episode so far except for one with Hugh Dillon the, the first one who created the co-created the show with him <laughs> this guy doesn't fucking sleep man can't I don't know how he does it I'm gonna be very curious to see the credits probably aren't there yet but I'm gonna be very cu- curious to see how much he is involved in 1883 and, and how much of it he he does himself I mean if anything that would be the one to kind of let someone kind of put their stamp on and kind of produce you would kind of think, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, who knows? Who knows? He might just be that guy that is is Superman and is able to do all of it. I guess we should probably throw it to the the conversation with Jefferson yes. White. Yes, that's so cool that you got to do that. Um, I'm really excited for people to hear that. We got our first guest on the show, and it's Jimmy. And uh, so, yeah, Mike's going to have a cool conversation with him. And hope you guys enjoy it. And hopefully we have uh, more in store soon. Absolutely. Keep on Yellowstoning. <laughs> I want to thank Jefferson White for joining the podcast to discuss all things Yellowstone, both the hit show in which he plays the lovable Jimmy Hertstrom and the brand new official Yellowstone Companion podcast, which hits podcast apps on December 9th. Jefferson, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to what I would refer to myself as a humble, unofficial Yellowstone podcaster. Thank you so much for, for taking the time, Mike. I'm I'm new to podcasting, so I'm very excited to learn from you over the, the course of this conversation. <laughs> I, I've brought a PowerPoint that we can kind of show off and do the how-tos and all that. Lots stuff. of PowerPoints in the Wild West, I'm learning. Yeah, exactly. you know, mostly PowerPoints. <laughs> yeah. A lot of pictures of horses, but not actual horses. Yeah. One day I hope to actually, actually, you know, <laughs> spend some time on a horse. 
The CG is really great on the show, by the way. You know, Fantastic. you never know. Um, but I do want to dive in just right away by saying, and I've said it before on on our little Yellowstone podcast discussions. Jimmy's one of my favorite characters on the whole damn show. He's very much kind of like the beating heart in a show that has characters either deliberately without one or actively suppressing one. I guess thank you for for knocking Jimmy out of the park and and all that jazz. Thanks, man. That's that's so kind of you. It's funny, you know, the actor's kind of the last the last part of that equation. So I really all all credit goes to to Taylor who's a brilliant writer and also a brilliant director who sort of isn't incredible at, you know, drawing performances from a rock, you know, and in that case, <laughs> I am that rock. <laughs> so Taylor and the, you know, and everybody involved in the show creates an environment that is so immersive and so sort of full and living that as an actor, it's incredibly easy just to step into that world and you kind of, you kind of can't help but be swept along in it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but let's take it like super back to the beginning how did he, Jimmy even like come to your, you know, your desk as it were, you know, was it part, was it offered to you? Were you kind of like jumping at the chance to dig into it? So I got sent, I was working on a, a TNT show called the alienist and I was in a, mm. a hotel in Budapest, Hungary. Um, and I got sent the script, the, the pilot script for Yellowstone by my, my agents. And I, I read the script and was immediately sort of uh, obsessed with it. So I've, I've been a fan of the show for since, since the moment I read the first page of that script. But my initial, you know, my agents, they believe in me very much. They're incredibly talented. They're great at what they do. They were sending me in for the role of Casey, which, you know, reading that script, this guy is an ex-Navy SEAL. He's the ultimate badass. He's an incredible sort of hard scrabble cowboy. <laughs> I was reading it and the entire time I was thinking, wow, this is, they really, they are really, um, <laughs> they believe in me very much. Uh, but I kind of knew it wasn't the right fit. And I was reading the script sort of, you know, I, I loved the script so much that I wanted to find where I could fit in this world. And Jimmy was a character that I sort of immediately connected with and immediately saw myself in, you know, I saw myself in Jimmy uh, from from the very first time I read that script. So I I sent my agents a audition tape for Casey, which thankfully time will bury, you know? <laughs> which thankfully it will become a fossil. Um, but I'm I also to see that time, one day. I, I, I made my own tape for Jimmy prior to being sent an audition for it or anything. I just said, hey guys, I, I think, you know, Casey, this is an incredible part. This is an incredible series. I really want to be a part of it. Um, what do you guys think about this character, Jimmy? And I sent them a tape for that also. Uh, and so that, that, that was also, you know, at that point, my, my main sort of priority was being a part of the show. So it's very funny. I also, I sent them a tape for Jimmy and I also said, okay, guys, I'm just looking at this script for anywhere else that I could fit in here. So I remember also <laughs> making a tape for the helicopter pilot in episode one who flies John Dutton's helicopter. And I think they actually got a real helicopter pilot to play that part. suppose that makes <laughs> so sense. Also wasn't exactly the right fit. Um, but then, you know, three or four audition tapes later i flew from budapest to park city utah to meet with taylor um for an audition that lasted about 15 minutes it was like a 15 hour flight for like a 15 minute audition <laughs> and i'm just incredibly grateful you know four years later i'm just incredibly grateful to be along for the ride and you're not necessarily supposed to be the cowboy type right up front when you join but you know obviously he's got to ramp up pretty quickly how how much training and and how demanding is the role when you're getting into it it's it's very demanding and honestly this is the kind of thing it's a little bit like you know olympic gymnasts 
if you don't start this when you're young, you're yeah. always going to be up. You're always going to be behind. So starting, you know, the, the first time I rode a horse was uh, in preparation for Yellowstone season one. And the, the gift that we have is we have incredible horse trainers on set. We have incredible horses on set, truly the best horses and the best trainers and wranglers in the world. So they gave me a crash course. I, I was given a crash course, like by the best and sort of most, the best teachers too, people who have mm-hmm. been teaching riders and teaching horses their whole lives. But that said, you know, I'm very lucky that Jimmy's not supposed to be good at it. All they had to do was get me up there, get me up there and get me confident enough that I wouldn't get hurt. Yeah. And then from there, we're lucky that Jimmy's not supposed to be an expert. And I've had four years to sort of try to catch up try to catch up to the moment that Jimmy's in now where he is really sort of um, finally for the first time uh, gaining some confidence on a horse and really sort of deepening his his practice. Yeah. Have you ever had to take one of those buck offs or anything like that? Because that does not look pleasant. It doesn't look pleasant. I have an incredibly (laughs) talented stunt uh, stunt man and real life rodeo cowboy, Bobby Roberts, um, who, who does the bucking sequences and he's amazing. And I've learned so much from him in so many ways, but every time I have to watch him get bucked off, it's, it's brutal, man. It's, man. he's amazing. And you know, part of the job, part of the job for those stunt performers is making it look bad, but he's really good at his job. <laughs> he really makes it look bad every time Bobby Roberts is he he's been playing Jimmy as long as I have. He, his first day was my first day, which was the scene in season one where Jimmy gets duct taped to the horse. That was Bobby's first day. And it was my first day, which was a real, a real trial by fire. Yeah, man. Uh, I also like this past weekend, I don't know if this is the first time it aired. I saw the Tacova's ad during, during the last episode, you said you have to warm up to play this role. And I'm wondering as someone who's I'm, I'm 36 going on 37, but I could definitely see needing like a whole day to warm up for this. So do you have like a routine or what do you, how, how long does it take? I've got a little routine that has developed over time. And I'm also, you know, the main thing I'm doing is I'm always watching the other Cowboys, watching how they sort of prep, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I talk a lot to Forey J. Smith because Forey's been doing this his whole life. He was a, a rodeo cowboy. He, he rode bucking horses for a long, long, long time. So I always watch for them for sort of how they take care of themselves, how they take care of your bodies. Cause it takes a real toll on your body, you know? Yeah. Especially when you're new to it. A lot of it is just muscles that you don't use anywhere else in your life. A lot of it is like muscles and sort of positions that it takes a long time for your body to get used to. So there's, you know, warming up helps a little bit, but on the end, you know, there's only so much warming up you can do and you just have to you have to settle in and expect a certain amount of discomfort and expect a certain amount of pain. I was talking to a friend of mine who, who started riding recently who said, you know, how long does it take? And the truth is it takes a lifetime. And uh, <laughs> I'm about four years into that and it still beats the hell out of me every time. Yeah. yeah. From, from what all the cowboys on the show say, I, I don't think it ever stops. So uh, I think that's right. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Or you get to the point where riding a horse is comfortable and walking isn't comfortable anymore. <laughs> on the other side of it, you know, 40 years into it, uh, yeah. which is a trade, you know, it's a trade you got to make. You know, the, the characters that you're around a lot, the bunkhouse boys, as it were, that's kind of almost it's it's a show within the show. At first, it kind of felt almost like Sons of Anarchy dropped in the middle of a ranch. And uh, I mean, do you feel like it's its own little environment on set? How does it feel one going into that and now moving away from it and being kind of in this whole other situation this season? Yeah, that, that was an incredible gift from the very beginning because me, Ian Bowen and Denim Richards, 
were really a unit from the very beginning, from, from our first days in Montana in season one. We were sort of learning together, riding together, also kind of living together, basically, you know, spending most of the day together, hanging out every day anyway. And that, that's been an incredible gift just to have that sort of community, because especially working on a show like this, we're all very far away from home. We're all very far away from our families, our sort of normal lives. So having those guys to lean on and, and being able to sort of take care of each other from the beginning has been an incredible gift. And then I think that also really feeds into the, the atmosphere of the show. You know, those guys live together. The characters live together. They mm-hmm. live in one big room together, the bunkhouse. So the more that, you know, me and uh, Ian and Denim sort of connected early on, I think that that only really helped the, the world of the show feel authentic and feel true to life. And then since then, it's been incredible. These new characters sort of coming into the bunkhouse, obviously Jin Landon, Teeter, has been an incredible infusion of energy mm-hmm. um, and her her experience uh, sort, sort of getting to kind of relive the experience of, of joining the bunkhouse through, through her experience of it. Uh, Eden Brolin, who plays Mia, and uh, Hassie Harrison, who plays Laramie getting to sort of these new infusions of energy have only added to that atmosphere and made it such a blast. Like those scenes are so, so fun to film. And then moving into season four, when Jimmy gets effectively banished from the bunkhouse, banished from his life at the Yellowstone, kind of ostracized, I really, that that stuff felt, you know, helpfully terrible. It felt terrible to feel outside of that community, that community that I had spent three years worming my way into to be suddenly locked out of that was an incredibly painful experience. You know, it really mirrors my experience of no longer getting to participate in those scenes and watching those scenes from afar really mirrors Jimmy's experience of being locked out of that world that he, he loves so much. And the only sort of family, the only family he has, you know. Anyone uh, you're you're particularly missing the most? Yes, I'm asking you to pick a favorite of all your cast members, and they're going to hear it. <laughs> Boy, pick a favorite! I, I wish I could. If I had to pick a favorite, I'd say my favorites are um, Ian Bowen, Denham Richards, Jen Landon, Eden Brolin, Hassie Harrison, Ryan Bingham, Corey <laughs> J. Smith, Ethan Lee. Jake Ream. I mean, the good thing, the good news is that, you know, I, I still get to hang out with all those folks outside of the show. And those are yeah. all lifelong friends at this point. Um, right now I'm staying in a, in a house in Fort Worth, Texas with Jen Landon. Cause we're down here prepping for a, a charity cutting event that charity, which is a, a breast cancer, a breast cancer, uh, organization, a breast cancer, obviously, uh, sort of an incredible organization that provides a lot of support, logistical support, material support to, uh, to women living with breast cancer. So we're, we're down here prepping for a cutting event in Fort Worth right now, you know, so these are all my, my lifelong friends, regardless of whether we get to spend time together on the show. On the most recent episode yesterday's, I believe it was, you kind of ride off into the, the sunset, you know, 20,000 acre ride, your hat flies off. There's no more Yellowstone (laughs) on you. How, you know, can you tease what's what's coming or, you know, uh, how did that feel to to kind of was that intentional, the hat thing, or is that just kismet? God, I wish I could tell you that was intentional. I wish I was a good <laughs> enough rider that I could make my hat fly off on purpose. Uh, that was, you know, it was a funny sequence because Jimmy's got his backpack on. He's got all of his worldly possessions with him. He's mm-hmm. got this backpack on and he's got this duffel in his right hand and I've got the reins in the other hand. 
And then my hat starts flying off and I realize, all right, what am I going to drop here? I'm not going to drop the reins. I'm not going <laughs> to drop my duffel bag with all my possessions in it. I guess we got to let the hat go. And then they left it in the edit, which was uh, brutal of them <laughs> to let me look. No, they're, they're always, they're always uh, letting me look like a, a doofus on camera, which is important. It's important uh, character building, you know? Yeah. Well, that was um, so perfect for the character in the moment. It's just like, yeah, he's got this Dutton ranch cap, right. And the right. Dutton ranch cap goes flying off as he rides into his new, his new life on the sixes. Couldn't have planned it better. Yeah. So let's say, tell you what, edit all of that out. And let's say, <laughs> yes, I, uh, they made my hat Worked fly for days. off using a series of wires, <laughs> special effects. <laughs> Uh, and, and like you were kind of alluding to uh, at the beginning, you get to, I mean, you've spent a lot of time, you know, digging into Taylor's dialogue, Taylor Sheridan, but, you know, on the most recent episodes, you've gotten to like do one-on-one scenes with him. What makes both him so great as as kind of like an acting scene partner and uh, a writer that makes his dialogue style so appealing and, and just down to earth? He has an incredible sort of holistic approach to filmmaking that I've never encountered before. And I think, you know, his background is as an actor and an acting teacher, and he's also an incredible screenwriter. He's also an incredible director. He has like immersed himself, you know, like when you start cowboying, you learn that it's not just riding the horse, it's caring for a horse, it's training a horse, it's saddling a horse, it's it's sort of, and he, he has a similar approach to filmmaking. He knows about every department, he knows everybody's job on set. And so that that's an incredible gift. And I think it gives him a really unique sort of perspective on on everybody's responsibility on a set and it it really makes him sort of unique as a creator but the other thing he's great at he he's also an incredible actor and he's good at switching off his brain in every other role like he's not <laughs> trying to direct a scene from inside it he's not trying to rewrite the scene from inside it he's amazing at sort of having such a comprehensive understanding of the process but also being an incredibly present scene partner who's able to sort of operate on impulse and really be in the moment with you he's an incredible improviser one thing that i really admire about him as a director and as a writer is the freedom that he allows to his collaborators he sort of gives us the opportunity to improvise. And then if we're fucking it up, he'll come in and tell us and he'll sort of steer us in the right direction. But that that really, to me, is indicative of an actor who's operating on impulse. If you can turn and throw out a line, if you can turn and respond to something in the moment that's not scripted, that means you're really operating from a place of impulse and you're really sort of, you're really in the world that you've created. So he, he has the incredible gift also of being able to turn off his director brain, turn off his writer brain and just be present in a scene, which yeah. is amazing and very, very difficult to do. Let's jump into the podcast of it all, because mm-hmm. I know you're doing, like I said, the Yellowstone official companion podcast which sounds really great. And, and not that I'm jealous or anything, but I think you got set up in Vegas to record this thing or whatever it was. I mean, when I'm, I'm in my bedroom here, just kind of doing my home office thing. How did this come about? Was it your idea? How'd the Vegas come about? What's, what's all about, what's going on here? Yeah, so the podcast is sponsored by the win, which is an incredible gift. They have an amazing facility there. They have this brand new podcast studio, basically And they're taking incredibly good care of us. It's my first time in Vegas. I'd never been to Vegas before. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so working on the podcast has been an incredible introduction uh, to that world. And I'm so, so, so grateful that they've they've been so supportive and they've provided us with so many incredible resources to make the podcast sound and look and and sort of be as, as good as possible. 
So I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, that said, I'm also pretty new to podcasting. You know, the whole experience is quite new to me. So I, I'm trying to approach it in the same way that I approach my experience on Yellowstone, which is, this is a world I'm new to. And every day is an opportunity to learn. Every day is an opportunity to, to watch and learn from the experts that I'm surrounded by, you know? So I'm, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to you. And not, you know, all jokes aside, this is a huge learning experience for me to sort of watch how you're, you know, the way you're sort of guiding this conversation <laughs> to sort of watch what threads you're picking up on and then following. That's a sort of a really invaluable learning experience for me because this whole thing is, is just learning, you know, and the, yeah. the, the amazing thing that the podcast affords me is the opportunity to have these long conversations with collaborators on the show, these other actors who I admire so much, whose work I've got to watch. And I've gotten to know these people as, as, you know, actors and as friends and to sort of dig into their process and really learn uh, from them in a concentrated way. So I'm trying to approach the whole thing in the same way that I approach Yellowstone, which, okay, this is this is an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to learn more from these geniuses that I find myself lucky enough to be surrounded by. Yeah. How did it get brought to you? Uh, if you don't mind me asking, you said you're not really experienced with with podcasts at all. Yeah. The folks at the folks at one-on-one studios who are one of the, the producers of Yellowstone, David Glasser over there, they're, they're brilliant producers. They're incredibly prolific. And I think what they wanted to do basically with this podcast was dig into the world and sort of community and culture that surrounds Yellowstone. You know, they wanted to do something that wasn't a recap show, but was rather a sort of exploration of the themes and community and culture and sort of authentic world that surrounds the show. And, you know, how they wound up going with me anytime somebody <laughs> hires me, it's a, it's an absolute mystery. And it's a, it's a happy mistake as far as I can tell anytime somebody uh, hires me. Um, but, you know, I, I think I'm right for this in the sense that I'm eager to learn from the experience. You know, I'm eager to learn from these actors. I'm eager to learn from the members of the creative team that I get to talk to as part of the podcast. Um, and, and so I think that makes me sort of uniquely suited to it is that I'm a, a young guy who's hungry to learn. And this this podcast feels like an opportunity in the same way that I think you know, part of the function of Jimmy on Yellowstone is to give the audience this character that uh, doesn't know what the fuck is going on, this sort of outside view, this like outside eye on the Dutton Ranch and and what's what goes on there. I think the podcast maybe offers the same opportunity is that is that I can be a bit of a an audience member myself. I'm a huge fan of the show myself, and I can sort of offer offer the audience a kind of uneducated <laughs> layman's <laughs> approach to, to talking to these these brilliant brilliant uh you know creatives very cool well i'm very much looking forward to hearing it and uh all the interviews that come along with it and the deep dives and i'm also very much looking forward to seeing what you know jimmy's journey is going to be does he cowboy up does he die trying what what what's going to happen but uh either way i appreciate you taking the Thank time you so much man i appreciate you taking the time and I, i'm listening to your podcast as part of my prep for doing oh, that very podcast. nice Thank you so much for for doing so much work in this space and giving fans uh, exactly what they want. You know, it was so born I, out of passion, man. We we love the show, so it just kind of we were going to talk to each other, or we could record talking to each other about it. <laughs> That's smart. That's smart. Uh, thank you so much. It also is really like anytime I talk too much about the show, or I get too much up my own ass about you know you know my role in the show. The important thing to remember is that the fans and the community are the reason we get to do the show. Like the whole reason we get to do this is because people have responded to it, and people by watching the show and talking about it, they also 
me, that, that, that's why we get to keep doing it basically. So we owe everything we have and we owe every opportunity we get to folks like you who, um, who watch the show and who, mm-hmm. who are so sort of uh, committed to it. So thank you. Thank you very much. No problem. Uh, again, everybody, Yellowstone, uh, the companion podcast hits apps on December 9th. Jefferson, thanks so much. Cheers, brother. Talk to you soon. Yeah.